0: 1991, when Secret Story was recorded, I was pretty well into things by that time. I'd been making records and stuff for 15 or 16 years and established the general parameters of whatever my thing was and in, in, in a couple different directions. I mean, uh, the group was well on its way to some of its biggest successes um, around the world, We'd, you know, I'd been touring almost continuously from, from 77 through the time The Secret Story was written and recorded. And at the time, I remember thinking that that record was going to be sort of a kind of summing up or a consolidation of whatever it was that I had garnered to be true um, up, up till then in, in the broadest sense. You know, all the records that I had made away from the group were really intentionally as far away from the group almost as, as I could make them. It didn't seem to make any sense to me to cover territory that I was doing with the group on a record that was my own, that wasn't a group record. Um, the group was, you know, so fully satisfying compositional aspects, the long-form aspects, and particularly the sort of big sound aspects of my interests, it didn't seem to make sense to do a record outside of the group that even remotely went into that territory. And in fact, since Secret Story, that's also been the case. I also have have not done any other records outside of the group, records that have gotten into that zone. secret story was first conceived was that there weren't going to be any other musicians on it at all it was going to be just me and in fact I did the entire record as a complete solo record where I played all the parts I, I did everything on my own basically what that record is is me being wildly unsatisfied with what sounds I was able to actually achieve using synths at that time particularly the Synclavier. Compared to what I imagined that it might be if I replaced key moments with actual guys, and the whole process of, of the recording of Secret Story is kind of odd in a way, in the sense that I had the finished tracks, the exact length that they are in the record and basically kind of colored it in with um, you know a bass player here, the orchestra here, uh, you know a piano part here played live either by me or. You know, Lyle I guess plays a couple tunes, and you know where I had this sort of synth demo version. And it was like, okay, let's get what the real version of that should be. That was particularly true with bass and drums. Is no matter how good you are at at that stuff, it just never quite works. And uh, you know, I started bringing in uh, all these various cool guys like Steve Ferrone or Will Lee or. Paulo Braga to play parts because the truth is overdubbing onto a pre-recorded piece of music is one of the hardest things to do to make it really sound good. It's very tedious, very time-consuming and uh, in that sense one of the major allies in the, the recording of that record was uh, uh, once again Steve Rodby whose skills um, as, a pro- as a producer and being able to get good performances out of people in the studio are really unrivaled. Steve and I spent weeks at at the power station studio kind of filling in the blanks and then finally going to London, recording the strings and the orchestral parts there. The entire project was by far the most ambitious sort of logistical project uh, I've ever mounted. The nature of that record, in many ways, is sort of the most massive single recording project that I ever did, just in terms of, of the scale of, of what it was, in terms of the compositions, the length of the record itself, kind of unprecedented at that, at that time, um, at uh, 78 minutes or so, and we weren't even sure you could get that much music on a CD back then. And that wasn't even all the music as it happens. There's five tunes that I had written um, at the time that simply didn't fit on the record. Uh, So I had to pare things down and and really didn't quite finish those tunes. I I had to make that decision early on. And one of the things that's exciting about this new re-release is that I went back in, transferred everything over to the modern 21st century world, which made work a million times easier than it was back in 1991, and sort of examined uh, these pieces in detail and um, really uh, kind of did a, a, a resurrection of what those ideas were um, and played some new stuff and reorchestrated some things and uh, ended up with this sort of new separate bonus record that almost stands on its own as a little record of its own and is a uh, pretty interesting adjunct piece to uh, the original which we also remastered sounds a lot better than the original did back in those uh, 16-bit early days of uh, digital audio mm-hmm. The Secret Story Project is also a continuation of, you know, the research that I had been trying to do over the years, you know, really using the guitar not just as a, you know, sort of jazz instrument, but also as a sort of textural component in the body of of the music. Um, You know, tunes like Phase Dance are all about that, where there's a particular guitar that makes a particular sound that's sort of central to the, the whole... Feeling that the piece invokes, and there are a number of things like that throughout Secret Story. For instance, the sitar guitar sound that uh, is the backbone of Rain River um, throughout the record. Lots of uses of guitars doing things that you probably don't even recognize as guitars, whether they're triggering synths or um, you know being used. You know, of course, like the, the guitar synth as a, a solo voice, but in a way that's, you know, now we all know what it is, but at the time, you know, that kind of sound was still uh, almost unplaceable in a way that I've always liked. It's like, what is that, you know? Uh, you, you don't necessarily identify it as a guitar player's record for the most part. You know, yet the guitar is, is also right there in the, in the center of, of almost everything on the record. But I would still characterize the record more as a composer's record and, and uh, or, or even more than that. It's kind of a conceptual um, idea of what music can be that, um, again, you know, looking back on it now we, we, we see it for what it was, what it, was, what it is, but it, I would say that that was a record that until that point there hadn't really been a record quite like that. And. Uh, Honestly, looking in retrospect, too, there aren't too many records quite like that after that either, which I think is part of the reason it stands up well. Is that it, it, You know, To me, I, I really hope to and aspire to, to do things that are somewhat singular, like there's that one thing that happened that one time or that one project that was that thing, and that, that was that, and Secret Story somehow uh, embodies that ideal for me. All in all, you know, it remains a few things for me, kind of this incredible undertaking at that time. Also, I mean, not that this is a big thing, but it's probably worth noting. It's kind of by far the biggest selling record I ever had, it, and that was a huge surprise to me. I, did, I didn't didn't anticipate that or uh, expect that. There's most of the tunes are nine or ten minutes long and didn't really get much airplay, but. It remains right next to um, the record with Charlie, "Beyond the Missouri Sky," kind of a cult record. I mean, there there are people that are sort of into secret story um, in a way that goes beyond um, just a normal everyday release. Um, I, I probably get more mail about that record than any other record, and uh, that has continued over the years. It, it's been great to restore it. Um, to its uh, original sound and and then some and to restore the artwork and uh, and then some and then to have the five bonus pieces makes it a, a really important and uh, happy day for me to have it out <laughs>